X-Ray. And welcome to the Beer Bonda Podcast. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. How's it going? Long time no see. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm pretty good. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. We're having a beautiful spate of fall weather. What is up with that? It is kind of wigging me out. It's so gorgeous. And it reminds me of the falls of my youth in parts of Northern North America that don't rain constantly like it used to normally do in Portland. Yeah. And if you remember, and I hadn't until someone pointed this out to me, but last fall was a real dud. I have no memory of last fall. In terms of in terms of uh, fall colors. and But yeah, we've had this nice, crisp, dry temperatures that's turning the leaves crispy and brown and orange and yellow and lovely. It's true. It's, it's really, like Vermont here. Yeah. It's just been a it's just been a weird weather year. I think they're all going to be weird from now on out. I know. Yeah. And I have uh relatives and family in in the San Francisco Bay area. The ones in Marin County are uh in the dark and expect to be in the dark for a few more days. They had their their gas and their electricity turned off on Sunday night. This is I don't know when we're posting this, like 2 right. weeks ago. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so as imagine, we report, yeah. Well, the fire is probably still going to be burning by the time you hear this. Anyway, sure. Uh, so, they burn for a long time. They, so, people don't realize it. they keep burning in well into the time when they're contained. Yeah, and so anyway, the point of that was that it it, remain, it reminded me that last summer in Portland we had lots and lots of forest fires and smoke in the city, and this year we've been been lucky. Yeah, we had a we definitely had a nice fire season this year. Yeah, so my uh, thoughts and uh, condolences go out to those in in uh, California who are dealing with all this uh, wildfire. Indeed. Terrible. Anyway, <laughs> that's not so exciting. That's not another new beer. Yeah, it does. Go have a beer. Uh, drink the beer now because it's going to get warm if it sits in your fridge because the fridge doesn't have electricity. That's right. <laughs> Drink now. So uh, anyway, the point was it was a really, really nice fall outside. I know. We are, it, <laughs> Here it, we are. So actually this- um, it's, a, it's a Portlander's plight that our weather is improving and it's freaking all of the Portlanders out. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's freaking us out because I don't know what to expect next. That's right. Last I, year was like the apocalypse. We had incredible heat and smoke and gross uh, wet summer and then a, and then kind of a wet a wet and dismal fall and we kind of had a sort of a wet and dismal late summer and now it's a beautiful fall for the moment at least yeah and so now i, I just feel unhinged like yeah what I do i expect that was the one thing about living in the pacific northwest is that right it was incredibly dependable the weather you know the the, the summer would be would be bright and dry and then you just the drizzle would set in yeah and then nine would, months and then it would just drizzle 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 like that was it. It's very simple. You just, yeah. you know, you set your calendars. Anyway, <laughs> we, we're we here in the studios of X-Ray FM in the Falcon Art Building in beautiful North Portland. We join you nearly live. With me, of course, as always, is uh, beer writer extraordinaire Jeff Allworth, <laughs> author of several books, including The Beer Bible and The Widmer Way, working now on the new edition of The Beer Bible. Indeed I am. Exciting. This is going to tie into our podcast today because we will finish your travels in Europe in support of the new edition of the Beer Bible. Yeah. Uh, so we'll talk about that. Um, but before we do that, let me say that you are oh, right. uh, yeah. Patrick Emerson, a full tenured professor, since you glossed my resume, I'll try to gloss <laughs> yours, uh, of economics at Oregon State University and a research fellow uh, at various places, which I used to have on here, but I 
I, I abandoned them. But wh- uh, remind us, where, where are you a research fellow? Uh, Institute for the Study of Labor called ICA in Bonn, Germany, mm-hmm. and uh, C-Micro. Uh, yeah, C-Micro. C-Micro in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Nice. Brazil. Yeah, and then, uh, of course, uh, across from us now is our uh, new producer, Chase Bross. Hi, Chase. Hi, Chase. And getting, I'm going to have to drop the new for the next script. Yeah. Now we're, we're settling in uh, Chase's. <laughs> no longer new. He's like a, a pair of jeans getting worn in. <laughs> We've roped him in. He might not be able to get out. That's right. All right. Uh, before we get started, we'd like to thank Freem Family Brewers for sponsoring us, uh, sponsoring this episode of the Beer Vada Podcast. You can find them in Hood River, Oregon and at freembeer.com, P-F-R-I-E-M-B-E-E-R.com. Uh, and by the way, speaking of which, a little while ago, they had me out Hood River. They sent me home with a bunch of beer. Thanks very much for everything. But in there was uh, their, and I'm going to blow it, it's their winter beer, let's call that. <laughs> I forget exactly yeah. what they call it. Winter ale, maybe? Sure. Uh, which reminds me, because now the fall is setting in, it's yeah. getting cold, the crispy leaves. Uh, theirs was exceptional i'm gonna get tired of praising their beer um you can you now know the full disclosure that they're our sponsor and they gave me the beer for free but i really liked it uh because uh sometimes i find winter beers a little bit too heavy you know but too much in the spice Hmm. but winter beer season is coming that's true uh i got a i get deliveries uh, from breweries from time to time i got my annual delivery of jubilee from deschutes brewery which oh, nice. always, have you cracked one yet absolutely and tastes like jubilee <laughs> <laughs> it's always tweaked from year to year Anything? no 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 they, they they keep it they keep it steady do you think so yeah absolutely no. okay yeah I always clearly you're not drinking enough jubilee well that's what i was about to say no what i was going to say is that you you drink it well i tend to have them you know, like one month a year and right. maybe, so maybe I'll have one Jubilee, one mm-hmm. or two Jubilees, right? And so after a year passes, I always think, oh, there's something different about this, but it's probably just because I haven't drank in a while. That's right. No, it's, it's, uh, they, they have a pretty standard. The one thing that changes is they have a new label from a local artist. Well, yeah, right. that's probably it, right? So that fools that, you. That sets my mind in motion, making connections that aren't there. There are definitely brewers that do change their recipes. I think Wassail at Full Sail has changed and, and of course, uh, Anchor Steam has their Christmas beer always has a different recipe. So there's some of that goes on. But And there was a little bit of a Twitter uh, thing going on. I don't know if it ever got resolved, but uh, for a long, long time, my favorite winter beer was Wreck the Halls from Full Sail. Mm-hmm. It was a John Harris creation. They, he was bringing it for many years out of his little brewery in Portland that was attached to the um, the McCormick and Schmick's restaurant. Apparently that dead for a while now. Mm. But I hear rumors that Wreck the Halls lives on? I don't know anything about it. Yeah, because I haven't seen it. So if it does live on, I'll be very excited to make it let me know. All right. Uh, if Wreck the Halls is available because it's my favorite. Excellent. At least it used to be my favorite. We'll find out. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll check that out. Because there hasn't been a reason to praise Full Sail for a while, so I'd like to do that. Yeah. And and yeah, in my mind, this is one of their best ever. So there you keep go. It, keep it coming. They, ha- they also had a different winter beard, I think, at the uh, Wassail. Oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> the one you just mentioned. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is probably why, if Wreck of the Halls has kind of gone by the way, that's why, probably because they want to focus on Wassail. So. Yeah. Uh, Wreck of so. the Halls is really m- like a spicy IPA. Right. It's, it's not like a traditional. Right. Okay. Uh, that was very interesting. So let's talk about what we're going to talk about. Okay. And then we'll talk about some more. Okay. When it's time to talk about it. <laughs> 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 All right. So you've been uh, traveling through Europe 
you've gone to a lot of places that are pretty familiar. You went to England, you went to Belgium, you went to Germany, mm -hmm. Berlin, you went, you didn't go to Czech Republic this year. I did. Uh, and then you started going a little bit farther afield. You told us last time we checked in about Poland. Right. But today you're going to talk about Lithuania. Yeah. Not the first place that drops, uh, pops into my mind when you think about beer touring in Europe. That's right. But hopefully with a little effort, we can change that. I think it should be on people's short list. Yeah. So as you write, we're going out with a bang. The tiny country of Lithuania, the population of Kansas and the size of Wisconsin. Oh, that's good. As uh, <laughs> a century old beers culture with the greater continuity to the past than nearly any place on earth. We'll talk about what defines the beer there and how Lithuania managed to hang on to its culture when so many other places lost theirs. All of that soon, but first, the news. A lot of amazing, shocking stuff happened last week. We'll start in the Midwest, where Founders Brewing is battling a racial discrimination lawsuit. While taking de depositions in that suit, the general manager of the Detroit location argued that he couldn't have discriminated against the plaintiff in the case, Tracy Evans, because he doesn't see race. Evans is black. A transcript of the deposition was posted on the Detroit Metro Times and created a firestorm of negative reaction. Founders Brewing is Michigan-based in general? Where are they? Grand Rapids. Oh, Grand Rapids. But this happened in their Detroit thing, so that's why there was that foot... That's why I wrote the Midwest at the top. Yeah, I did I did actually read this deposition. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. And, you know, there's... It, it was, it's too... The, the passage is too long to put in the podcast, but uh, worth seeking out. Uh, it's bizarre and yeah, disturbing. In, yeah, in the ways they try to obfuscate and get out of this makes it just much 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 worse yeah i'm sure that it was a deposition i'm sure they didn't imagine it was going to go public but boy it's not the kind of thing you want to go public no it no. did not reflect it's well not a, it, it's not a good look no all right and that's not all <laughs> yeah I was, I was, I was, <laughs> speaking of not a good look i'm yes. glancing over it jeff uh meaningfully item two a couple days later uh gracie harkima i hope i pronounced your name right gracie hired as founders uh, diversity and inclusion director last January, resigned. She posted her resignation letter online, and it was brutal, reading in part, your actions have explicitly shown you are more interested in the optics of my face than the impact of my voice. I've dedicated myself to a life and career of equity, ethics, integrity, and morals. I cannot represent a company who doesn't stand for the same. Ego and greed will destroy an organization's brand and reputation. This is my two-week resignation as founders diversity and inclusion director my last day with founders will be friday november 8th 2019 and it was a longer piece and she even unfolds more about her experience but that that phrase uh you are more interested in the optics of my face than the impact of my voice man oh man that is uh that's like drop the mic that and and founders should just settle a lawsuit like that's bad yeah yeah the, the optics of this whole thing is terrible the their, their management of this is terrible. I don't have uh, any firsthand knowledge of, of their practices, but um, it's not good. And, and for an industry that already has issues with uh, diversity and inclusion, yeah. it's yeah. especially not good. Definitely not. And, and these are areas that actually have a decent black population, Michigan and, and Detroit, obviously. Uh, you know, this is not, like there's some redneck places in the West where 
this you 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 see racist flare-ups and and it's not uh hitting home i think in the same way that it would be there right right yeah and it's yeah it's it's still uh it's still a an industry that struggles to attract uh, i mean both on the both on the production side but also on the consumer side struggles to attract i think um uh, minority customers so this is not not helpful no and that's exactly right i mean in places where you have diverse populations that's where it's even more important to be reaching out and making your space welcome for everybody. Yeah. So come on, founders, do better. Okay. Uh, here in Portland, we have another sort of closure to, to report. Uh, Heineken-owned Lagunitas abruptly closed their community room, a space, in the, a space the company, pre-Heineken, uh, created for nonprofit and community groups to use. The problem with the announcement was that groups were already committed to use this space, and had sent out announcements and invitations and made expenditures related to the events. Lagunitas offered only implausible claims like saying they held out as long as they could and received waves of Brad Press locally. Yeah. So it was a cool idea to begin with. Right. It's a community space. It's open, I think, free to nonprofits to use. I think that's right, yeah. And I think what they do is they they buy beer there. Right. Like people who attend the events can buy Lagunitas beer, but otherwise they, it's a, it's a, it's an event space, mm-hmm. um, a low cost event space for, uh, for nonprofits. It was a cool idea. It was a great way to sort of build both, uh, good vibes around your brand, but also to, uh, uh, reach out with your brand. Mm-hmm. And uh, also just be good citizens. And also just be good citizens. Uh, but no more. So yeah, the, the, the clumsy part, the clumsy part of this was how abruptly it happened and to say that, oh yeah, we couldn't sustain it. We've got Heineken money and we can't sustain it and we can't, uh, uh, do right by the people who've booked the spaces. It's too bad. Did you see that, that segment that the local, uh, there was a local news station did on this thing? No, I saw that you tweeted uh, a link to it, but I actually didn't watch the, the video. It was so horrible. So they did this right before, uh, a nonprofit was going to have an event there and it was to benefit uh, little girls doing something. Oh, great. And so the whole, <laughs> the whole segment was talking to the little girls about how they're not going to have their thing. And if, if you wanted to try to create a more <laughs> negative view of your brand than having yourself be crossways with little girls and their nonprofit, uh, boy, it'd be hard to figure out how to do that. So, um, it was just like, wow. Yeah. And so taking a step back and sort of taking a more, uh, bird's eye view of this, this is kind of the, the fear that people have when big corporate entities take over craft brewers, formerly right. independent craft brewers, which is that pretty soon you get, uh, nickel and dime, the bottom line starts creeping in. And as we know, uh, big brewers, you know, these kinds of little expenditures are easy to sort of X off the balance sheet and just focus on the core, right? the core products. And then the other problem, problem with that is that the core products in brewing tend to get old in the tooth, long in the tooth. And so the idea of innovation and, and, and doing new beers and supporting them uh, is pretty foreign to this kind of corporate culture, I think. Yeah, uh, it, I think that's right. And uh, it, the... It's so when I tweeted out the initial news, I was going to let the whole thing kind of go. I was going to blog about it. I was just going to tweet it out, and Loganese actually responded to me. Oh, really? Yeah, and they tweeted it back, and that they had that quote of "We held on as long as we could," which is such a blatant lie. I mean, this is a Loganese was purchased for a billion dollars from Heineken, the parent company. Right. They could afford to keep the uh, community center open 
a number of months to let people like do that. You know, that's, there was absolutely no reason to shut every, shut the whole thing down. So, and, and then, and then complain, you know, argue that it was, uh, uh, far, that the expense was far too great for them to handle. They are not. And then, sorry, this really riled me up. It's a small thing that really riled <laughs> really, me up. Yeah. Um, uh, Jeremy Lewis, the owner, the new owner of uh, Cerevesa raced in and was offering people to come and use the bad habit room at Cerevesa. Right. Uh, for the same space. And he is actually a local guy and his bottom line is actually probably a lot tighter than Heineken's. Sure. So, uh, you know, you can't actually do that if you care. And what, what that, what that suggested was we don't care and we're trying to cover this up and we got nothing. Yeah. A yeah, little I, bit of it's a pro tip, uh, for, for corporate, uh, <laughs> uh this uh, one flat. comes for free. Yeah. This one comes for free. It's always great to be responsive, but if you have an indefensible position, do not go out and defend it. Say nothing. It's way better than saying something worse. <laughs> well, the sad thing is it would have been uh, not that hard to do this in a way that was uh, uh, didn't sort of create a firestorm, right? You could have reached out to the people who had booked the space. You could have kept it open for a while, let them know. People who you couldn't have accommodated, you could have done things to help them find new space and yeah and and yada, one assumes yada, yada. that if you actually cared about any of that you would have done it so this was a you know it was a it was a revealing moment and i think we we saw some true colors here so right that this community room's not really about community it's just yeah. about branding okay. yeah i think so okay uh well so that uh ends the news segment yes sorry to get a little fired up there yeah <laughs> that's all right and now we're going to turn to the last stop on your european beer adventure yeah it was actually I went to Berlin after this, but it's the last stop on our our recap of your exactly. <laughs> yeah, because that you you did like a like a fish hook. Yeah, I looped around, loop back. So yeah, we don't yeah. we know we only go from west to east here. That's right. <laughs> so uh, Lithuania. Yeah, tell, tell me what drew you. That would not have occurred to me. Well, it wouldn't have occurred to me had a man named Lars Marius Garshol. Uh, not started writing about Lithuania a few years back. Mm -hmm. um, he is just a guy, uh, a, a tech guy uh, in Norway. And he got wind of uh, the coolness that was happening in Lithuania. Mm -hmm. And he went over there and he has a blog and he just started writing about it on his blog. And it was so cool that he got more interested in it. And he started visiting some of the traditional breweries that I'll talk about, which it turns out there are some, which is very cool. And anyway, he just unfolded this whole amazing scene, which was laying there in uh, plain sight for anybody who cared to look, but none of us had cared to look. But pretty self-contained. Totally self-contained. Uh, it is, so as, as you mentioned in the, the lead-in, Lithuania is a small country uh, right on the edge of uh, the, it's in the Baltics, but to its uh, right is uh, Belarus. Belarus, Belarus. Mm -hmm. uh, and then beyond that is, is Russia and then Scandinavia's North. So it's, it's pretty remote. It's a small place. It's an agricultural place. A lot of people don't go to Lithuania, I think. Uh, so I think it was just kind of off the beaten path. Right. And the beers actually, like if you go to a pub, you'll see beers that look relatively typical. Like there's a dark lager, there's a pale lager. Right. Uh, there might be something weird there. Now they're starting to make some of the more modern styles to, um, so you, you wouldn't necessarily be alerted to the fact that what's going on is, is unusual, but if you had a sophisticated palate and you tasted some of those light and dark lagers, you would think, whoa, what <laughs> this, uh, this does not taste like normal beer to me. Cool. Well, why don't you, um, sort of, uh, give us an overview of beer culture and why you do that. I am going to open one of these two Lithuanian beers. 
that you did not bring back That's with true. you. That's true. I did bring two beers back, but I, I drank, we drank them already. No, I wasn't a criticism. This was more that you were able to find Lithuania beers locally. That's right. At City Max at 122nd and Powell, which is a Eastern European grocery store. And uh, God bless Twitter, because when I was writing about Lithuania and tweeting it out, somebody at City Max said, hey, we have Lithuania beer. Come check it out. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I just mentioned that to, to say that as people listen to this podcast and hear about Lithuania beer, it's possible to find Lithuanian beer in the United States. You just got to know where to look. That's right. That's right. And the beers that they had at uh, City Max were beers that I did not see in Lithuania, but actually I, you know, I was in Vilnius, which is the capital. Uh-huh. And there's, there's most of the breweries are not in Vilnius. So there's a lot of breweries I didn't get to try. All right. So, so do you know anything about what I'm about to open here? I don't. It's, um, <laughs> I don't. Uh, I'm going to call it, it's uh, Rinkuskiu. Sure. That's exactly what it is. It's got a foil top, but it's a can, so that's good. <laughs> Which is uh, no, it's good. It's like those, charming uh, somehow. Well, yeah, it keeps it nice and clean. It's so true. If you're going to drink it straight from the can, you don't have to worry about gross stuff. That's it. That's definitely true. It's like the San Pellegrinos. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. All right. You, you warned me it might be fizzy. Aye. I don't know. See, it's fizzing. Good old Edwina. So while we let that settle down, I'll, I'll just kind of give it, if you go to Lithuania, uh, you'll find a culture that I'll, I'll talk, I've, I've been at pains to try to describe Lithuania in a, in a way that has meaning to people because it is in some ways not that different from what people expect. And in some ways it's radically different and right. trying to unfold all that is, has been challenging it from a, from a, uh, descriptive sense. So I'm going to start with a beer culture. So if you go there. You'll find these beers um, that taste different, and the reason they taste different is because uh, the uh, farmhouse tradition is still robust in uh, Lithuania, and we'll talk about that what that is. But in most cases, the farmhouse tradition is usually set off to the side, and then you have this overlay of of mass market loggers, which right. becomes the dominant thing. Yeah, here it's actually you have the mass market loggers coming, but they've been inflected heavily by the farmhouse tradition so uh-huh. that the, the, the loggers don't taste like normal loggers. They've been, you know, the, the, uh, the farmhouse tradition has filtered up and created, uh, a, a flavor palette that is present even in, in regular loggers. I think I pulled something by the way when I was I, opening the beer. Yeah. I see that you <laughs> have a beer pouring injury. Uh, <laughs> which, uh, something in the back behind my shoulder blade. You got to be careful. Yeah. It's uh, an old man drinking beer. You're in a boot. All kinds of... <laughs> All kinds of all kinds of dangerous things can happen. It's a disaster. Uh, uh, so, um, the there's there's hearty cuisine there, and this I think part of we're going to get into the how the traditions of Lithuania are really intact. But I think the a big part of the flavor palette goes well with the hearty food that you have there. I had like thick stews and sausages and potatoes and and uh, um, not a lot of bread. It's not a really bready place. Yeah. Um, and uh, the there's a local malt. So malt is really the main thing that drives these beers uh, with, with one caveat. And uh, you, there's a local malt house called Viking Malt, um, which is a, a Baltic thing. But my sense is the, the one that's in Lithuania that's owned by, the, by this, this uh, conglomerate uh-huh. um, has kind of distinctive malts because it's, uh, it's kind of unusual. So let's, let's taste this and see what we taste. Yeah, I just had a slug, but I want to hear your thoughts first. So I, 
the aroma is really bizarre, right? Yeah. You notice that? <laughs> yes, I noticed. That's the other thing too. It's it's beer-like, and so it's close. The thing is, I can't even describe what I, I don't even know what this is. I, how do you describe that? Uh, that's why I'm waiting for you yeah. because you're the pro and I'm just an economist along for the ride. Yeah, it, it almost has a, it's very ale-like. Uh, it's got a bread, kind of like a, a bread yeast quality. Yeah, uh, I agree with the breadiness. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a, I'm so glad that, so this one, this is, this brand um, has different ones and uh, we have the Ne Trautas, which, uh, as you might imagine, if you've traveled in other Eastern European countries, is means unfiltered. Yeah. Uh, and uh, here in Portland, anyway, this this brewery makes several of several different beers, and they that they, they, they sell. And this one is by far the best of the, th- of the ones that I purchased at that City Max. Ah, okay. This one really expresses Lithuanianness very nicely. So. Uh, the malts are, so there's a sweetness. All the beers are quite sweet. Uh, they, they focus on sweetness. Um, and the, but the malt, the, the pale malts are quite dry and cracker like. Yes. Yeah. So you get a wonderful character of these malts, which are very distinctive. Uh, and in some of the beers, uh, even, even more distinctively like cracker like and just really unusual cool malts and i want to say it to me it expresses almost a little like honey uh-huh yeah yeah so that's the sweet note that becomes really confusing which is yes. the other thing that is super characteristic about these beers okay they often have a sweet note that can sometimes have qualities of diacetyl mm-hmm. sometimes isoamyl acetate which is the the banana flavor mm-hmm. uh, sometimes just this honey sweetness i think the honey comes partly from the malt and then there's some i don't know something else there but the honeyness is definitely a a part of that yeah and sometimes the sweet note has elements of all three and you can't really you're not even sure exactly which which one it is (laughs) uh we i I, the two beers that i brought back i i had with some brewers that are into exotic beers and i wanted them to try it uh because i like to spread these things around and one of the beers that we we pulled open had a, a a big aroma of diacetyl. Yeah. But on the palate, it was very subtle and, uh, it's just weird that way. It's clearly intentional. You'll mm-hmm. find it in both ales and lagers. So diacetyl for, if, if anyone doesn't know is the flavor of, it's kind of like a, it's a sweet flavor. It's buttery, can, can go butterscotch. Yeah. And in, and in high doses, it's really gross. <laughs> uh, and in low doses, it, it can almost, uh, it falls back enough that it, it, uh, you know, it, it, it's a sweet note without being super assertive. It, it actually has a, a, a quality on the mouth, a fullness. Yes. Uh, and so you can see it that Some way slickness too. Slickness almost. You know, and I, I was the, on the nose, I almost want to say it's like a, it's a, it's, it, it smells like a, or it gives you the sense of a yeast expression, but it's almost like a yeast expression of bread. Yes. I, I think it's like bread yeast. That's yeah. what I think it okay. is. Okay. Yeah. And, I, and, and apparently the farmhouse breweries use bread yeast. Ah, I see. But I don't, but this is supposedly a lager. So what's going on with that, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And it's, by the way, it's uh, honey colored, uh, cloudy honey colored. Uh, cloudy honey colored. It actually, not terribly effervescent. Uh, it roused a pretty big head. Another big thing is that they're really into uh, 
flat beers. And this is a fascinating thing. So the first, my friend, the first place I went in, I, uh, I had recommendations of different breweries to go to or different pubs to go to. And I walked into a pub and this guy, he had a, uh, uh, he was at the, t- the, the tap and it was one of the taps that had the little, the little valve on the side, which allows you to adjust the flow rate. Uh-huh. So, uh, you can, which, which in turn allows you to modulate how much gas is coming through. Right. And as he's pouring, he's, he's jingering both of them, two handing <laughs> And the first thing he pours out is a full foam, a full glass of foam. That, and that was weird. So I'm thinking he's got a problem with his tap line. Right. Uh, it's okay. I, I pay no attention. He, he finally, through a long laborious process, gets me a pour of beer, but it's really flat. It has a nice head, but it's just the flavor. It's 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 cask like in its flatness. Uh, I see. And I'm thinking, well, that's I, I pay. So by so by jiggering, he can probably rise a little head to put on top, but then basically the base beer underneath is. Yeah, and he's trying to off gas as much as he can, so right. that the beer that you're getting is as flat as possible. Oh. Uh, it's weird, but I didn't realize until every brewery I went or every pub I went to, they were all doing that. And then I finally asked the guy, what the hell are you doing, man? <laughs> and he's, and he said, oh, you know, it, it comes out way too, way too foamy. We, oh, it, we want it to be flatter. It's much better if it's flatter. It's like, oh, uh, okay. okay. You guys are really trying to do this. You don't yeah. have any problem with your, your tap line. So, um, uh, so that's kind of the, if you go, and then there are these farmhouse brew, beers, which we'll talk about later, which oh, are, okay. which are even weirder. And those are, those are quite a lot of fun to talk about. Right. We'll get into those later, but. Um, but in some ways, uh, the more, the, the loggers are, are just as interesting because they're so weird and they're supposedly loggers. Yeah. Uh, so this so. is, by the way, a 5.2% beer, but a really full mouthfeel, uh-huh. uh, very full of like, as you said, bread, um, honey. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it, it, I would not have guessed it's a, guessed it's such a light beer. Yeah. Would you have guessed it's a lager? That is a really good question. I don't know. Yeah, I it, would never guess like, it's a lager. It tastes very ale-like to me. Yeah, it's got a lot of ale characteristics. There's something about sort of like, you could almost see it starting as kind of like a really rustic Czech Pilsner, uh-huh. right? Uh, but then it's got a lot of like ale things. It's got yeah. that honey, the breadiness. It's expressing some yeast on the nose and in the mouth. Yeah, exactly. Huh. So weird. Cool. I like it, by the way. So why are all, I do too. I really liked it. And yeah. the thing is it, it requires you when you're there, the first time you taste it, you think, oh my God, there's a lot wrong with this beer. Like it's got diacetyl, it's got iso animal, it's too flat. Like all these things you're ticking off. Right. And you just have to put those aside and think, no, they, they're trying to brew the beer like this. It, this is, it's not like the entire country doesn't know how to brew. And then once you reorient your mind, open up your mind and just think like, I'm just going to try this beer as it is and see uh-huh. what happens. Uh, something interesting happens and you kind of have, you have to forget everything you know about beer. I think that's interesting because that's sort of like a beer culture that's grown in isolation almost, right? Like we, we've developed these tastes and flavors that we like. Yes. And we're going to start, you know, and our beer culture is based on this beer, but it's not referencing it. It's only referencing slightly outside influences. Yes. And that's a really nice segue to the next segment I want to talk about, which is why is, you know, why is it, how did that happen? How did this culture develop in isolation? Yeah. And it turns out I, I was hanging out with a guy named uh, Martinez Savikas, 
uh, who was another one of these folks who was incredibly gracious. I have to say on my trip, there were at various stops, people who would take a whole day and just teach me about beer. And Martinez was this guy and uh, he's a, he's involved in the local uh, beer scene there. He's not a brewer himself. He's a home brewer. He's not a, um, a commercial brewer, but he knows quite a bit about beer and he's visited a lot of the farmhouse breweries and he's very active in the local scene and uh, he helped me out. Uh, and so we were just talking about the beer. I was tasting the beer and thinking, trying to figure out what, what was going on and <laughs> you were asking these questions. And then we started talking about Lithuania and all of a sudden it more started to come into focus once you know a little bit more about Lithuania. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so let's step back and talk about Lithuania. Okay. Uh, Bef- yeah, go be- ahead. Uh, before you do that, yeah, I'd like to break in. Our, oh yes, to our normal, to our regularly scheduled, <laughs> regularly scheduled podcast, uh, to say that we'd like to thank Freem Family Brewers for sponsoring the Beer Vana podcast. Freem has a new slate of beers coming out soon, including Barrel Age Saison Three, a fresh farmhouse ale brewed in Sauvignon Blanc barrels for just under a year. The result is floral, funky, dry, and effervescent, full of geranium and grape aromas that melt into notes of pineapple and minerality. And export lager, a testament to balance in the brewing art. Aromas of lightly toasted bread, wildflowers, and a hint of white grape converge in this cross between a Hellas and a Pilsner. Uh, each sip balances pleasant malt sweetness with floral hops and a restrained bitterness. Wow, you'd think we were almost like professionals. I know, right? That was, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we broke the fourth wall and talked about it immediately, proving that we are not professionals. Yeah, we ruined it all. Yeah. We're never going to get sponsored again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, thank you, Frame. Uh, those both sound delicious, by the way. They do. Actually, I've had the export lager recently. Oh, have you? Yeah, it's really nice. Oh, because I have a bottle of the Barely Saison 3. I haven't opened it yet. Yeah. Soon I will. But I but the export lager is the one, as you know me, that one's like, ooh. I think Frame is most famous for uh, their their Belgian-style beers. Um, right. they're most renowned and then they're second most famous for their, their IPAs and stuff. Uh, but the thing that I like the best about them are their loggers. I think they do their, and I think maybe Josh likes their loggers best too. So the export is great. Uh, yeah, their Pilsner is fantastic and they have a Keller beer, which is out of this world. Yeah. Okay. All, stuff. all right. We better stop talking about free. All right. Let's go back to let's Lithuania. Let's talk about Lithuanian history. So, uh, Lithuania is a really interesting little country. It is, uh, it turns out it is not a Slavic language. I asked Martinez, oh, is this a Slavic language? I think it's right there next to Russia and all that. It must be Slavic. No. It is uh, one of two countries with a language group uh, on the planet. Latvia is the other country. Mm-hmm. Estonia, which is the third Baltic, is actually a Finnish, Finnish language yeah. group. Yeah. Uh, so these two countries, which constitute about six million people, right. ha- uh, have this language alone. In Lithuania, uh, written language didn't come, checks notes, uh, until the uh, 12th century. They didn't have a written language until the 12th century. Wow. And their oldest text, uh, extant text, is only 500 years old, which is crazy. That is kind of crazy. They they were the last European country to be Christianized in the 1400s. So they were pagan, which I think is the wrong word, but uh, it's what what everyone calls them, pagan until (laughs) until around 1400. Um, Well, it's almost Halloween. That's right. As we record, excuse me, sorry, 
blew that blew that one again. That's right. That's right. Uh, just after Thanksgiving, or just after Halloween, <laughs> it was just Halloween. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, pagan is generally used to deride people. Maybe it's being reclaimed, but in any case, um, not not they were really late to Christianize. So they're you know they're this interesting country. They were kind of a a, a power for a while. They had conquered uh, a fairly large part of the Baltics and uh, in in toward. Uh, to the east towards Russia and that section. Uh-huh. Uh, but then it shrank back and they had this interesting uh, long uh, commonwealth with Poland. So it was like a joint, uh, they, they jointly ruled with Poland, which I happened to, when I was in the Krakow <laughs> uh, Museum, there was all this stuff where they had the, the, the seals of Lithuania and Poland. And that was curious. And I, I later learned what was going on. Interesting. So, um, so until... Uh, until almost 1800, they were independent mm-hmm. and they had this long kind of weird history that was, uh, you know, of their own language, didn't even have written language. Um, a lot of self, con- uh, you know, they felt uh, they controlled their their destiny for a long time. Right. And then finally, uh, around 1800, the czars conquered them and they, they encountered the first uh, attempts at russification. Right. Uh, and... Um, and then an interesting thing happened. So Latvia and Lithuania are interesting test cases because they come from the same language group, both both isolated, both small. Right. Uh, but Latvia had industrialized and Lithuania right. had not. Right. So uh, the Lithuanians dug in, fought the Russians, and had this underground of uh, kind of this, this, this scholarly group led this underground where they tried to preserve the language and preserve the texts. And the Russians... Uh, didn't fight them so hard uh, because it was just an agrarian place and it wasn't worth that much. Right. Um, eventually, they were uh, they were declared independence after World War One briefly, and they were conquered by the Soviets. Mm-hmm. And again, the cycle happened. A uh, large portion of the population was resettled in Russia, uh, in uh, sent to Siberia. Dissidents were jailed, but again, the Lithuanians. There was a group of Lithuanians who. Uh, fled to the forests and fought uh, the Russians and the Russians, which the Latvians didn't do. And the lot because Latvia was now industrialized, right? Uh, the Russians were far more interested in, in Latvia, uh-huh. and they they you know uh, Lithuania remained part of the uh, it was the Lithuanian SSR, but it was just too much bother for too little gain, and so the Russians kind of overlooked what they were doing, right? And so they dug in again. And again, they doubled down on their, their culture and tradition. And so for the last 200 years, except for a brief period of time, while they were occupied, uh, you know, colonized, they were doing their best uh, on the underground to keep their culture and language alive. And okay. so it allowed them to, uh, it, it created this culture of preservation. And now you see when you go to Lithuania, this culture of preservation everywhere you look, it's in the, 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 the way, uh, you know, it's in the food, it's in the local crafts, it's in the language, it's in the, the literature, and it's in the beer. Right. They really dug in. The Latvians lost all of that stuff because they, they you know, they were too, too, pl- too, too prime, and so they were really crushed. Um, so that's, that's the background, and that's why the Lithuanians were allowed to continue to make their weird beer in the countryside. And, ah, interesting. and why the beer was, you know, that was being sold, even even on the Soviet period when it was collectivized, still tasted different and weird. And and there were all because there were all these 
these farmers who were just making their own beer and doing their own thing. And it was that part was not collectivized and, and it kept this whole tradition alive. Huh, fascinating. Yeah, it's really cool. So that that's why this all this stuff still exists. Right. Uh, let's try this second beer, which I'm quite curious about. Let's. I don't know anything about this one. Uh, okay. <laughs> Except that it comes in a liter bottle. Uh, Butau 2. I don't know. And it's a, say that word which starts with an S, SV or something. Uh, Sviesuius. <laughs> that even thwarted your ability to uh, muscle through a foreign language. Okay, I'm going to try something else. Sviesuius. 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 So uh, Lith- Lithuanian is a remote enough language that uh, Google Translate doesn't give uh, uh, audio yeah. translations. So I, I, I couldn't, I wasn't able to prepare in advance you can't just point your camera at it and have it all translate from your eyes it'll translate the language the text but it will not have a uh, audio translation this by the way is a big bomber this is a one liter swing top bottle it's five percent alcohol and it says that this beer i assume they're talking about the brewery is uh, dates back to 1750 i that's not actually accurate i don't think i think the it's it's an estate brewery uh-huh. and i think the estate does i think the brewery is uh, more reason that. all right here we go Based on what Lars, but based on notes Lars made of this brewery. Uh, by the way, the Savisius means pale, so this is going to be, I think, a pale lager. It might be a pale ale, but I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. Not much fizz again. These... Yeah, it's funny because it it does raise a a, a fairly uh, impressive head, but then it dissipates, and there's not a lot of. Um... Uh, dissolved oxygen, uh, so dissolved CO two in there. It does have dissolved CO two, and that's what raises the head, right? Because Cascale has a head. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it doesn't have to be super effervescent right. to raise a head. Um, but it's really pl- it, it's really present on the on the palate, which is a fuller, thicker, maltier presentation when you don't have all that effervescence in there. Mm. I'm very curious about this one now. This one is a little bit clearer, but also honey colored. Interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah. So this one also has diacetyl on the nose. That's a lot of diacetyl. But they definitely, there's definitely a, fam, a family trait, a familiar trait. Mm. Oh, good. I did, I did pretty well. These are, <laughs> these, are, uh, these are pretty representative Good examples beers. of the... Yeah. Yeah, this one is... This one has exactly that kind of... Uh, it smells like diacetyl on the nose, mm-hmm. but the diacetyl flavor is not super strong. Yep. And it leads to these other sweet flavors that are a little bit hard to identify. There's yes. that honey thing. Uh-huh. Uh, I guess there's no banana in this one. Sometimes there will be a little hint of banana there. Um, hmm. Oh yeah, man, that one is that one is that one is a really classic yeah. uh, Lithuanian one. I almost want to say like stone fruit or something. It's hard to pin down. I kind of like this one. By the way, since since we can't since we can't um, uh, really tell you what these things are called because we can't pronounce the names, I'm going to take a couple photos and I'm going to put them on the Beervana Pod Twitter. There you go. Uh, so you'll be able to figure out that for yourself once you learn uh, Lithuanian. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There we go. This one, I so this is one of those ones I think that if you are a uh, knowledgeable beer person. If you take the Cicerone exam, you're going to taste this and, and say, oh, this has many flaws. I don't like this beer. Right. Uh, and when I now that I taste it, it tastes super Lithuanian to me. And I think, oh, 
rock and roll. This is, <laughs> perfect. This, this is a flavor that I'm looking for. <laughs> hmm. That's really good. Yeah, and again, it it kind of it kind of exists at that intersection of what we would identify as sort of typical lager characteristics and and ale characteristics. Yeah, and then a whole bunch of weird flavors that aren't typical. Yeah, and there's there when when I was tasting this with the brewers, and we had some of the other ones that I bought at uh, City Max, uh, they were picking up uh, a tannic note, hmm. and uh, Natalie Baldwin was one of the brewers there. And she kept calling it a black tea quality. And actually, I taste it in this. There's mm. black tea in this. Mm. Uh, it's subtle. It's not like a prominent thing, but it's just... And none of us had any idea where that uh, tannic note was coming from. Interesting. Yeah. No, I uh, I would not have identified it myself. But now that you've mentioned it, I can understand what you're saying. Yeah, it's not... It's not harsh or astringent, but it's just a a little flavor note in there. Yeah, there's definitely a... a, Almost herbal, I don't know. You know, there's a strong sweetness to both. Mm -hmm. Sweetness is a little different. In the first one, it was very, to me, it was very honey. This one is a sweetness that's a little honey, and I said maybe a little stone fruit, and almost tastes it's kind of a, I don't know what I would call it, maybe a little straw on the the aftertaste. Straw's good, good note. Yeah. Yeah, and and to my palate, the diacetyl is much stronger on the nose than it is on the palate. Uh, I agree. Yeah. It, it, which is good because when you smell it and it smells really diastole, you think, oop, yeah. they may have gone overboard here. But um, interesting. Yeah. Well, those are those are fun beers to drink because they are so different. That's that's I'm um, I'm glad we I'm glad we got a couple of good ones. The, uh, the other ones I bought were a little bit old, which is not surprising. We're in we're in Oregon like ten thousand miles away. Right. Probably that far, but hard hard to get beer fresh. But yeah, actually this one has held up well, even though it's in a brown bottle. The, the can held up super well because they tend to but yeah and that i looked at the bottom of the can the can's only two months old which is not bad at all yeah that would be in code in in oregon so if it was an oregon beer so that's fine yeah all right before uh before we go we have to talk about the really cool exotica the farmhouse tradition all right which is the most the most fun uh so there are uh different uh production methods and uh they're mix and match and I'm going to talk about three. The first one is called Keptinus, and this is uh, the kind of the the most characteristic and weird of the farmhouse traditions. <laughs> uh, it's really um, it, it turns out uh, Lars has been doing a bunch of research. We're going to have Lars on the podcast. He's he's put together a, a a huge book about farmhouse traditions in the Baltics and Scandinavia. Okay, which will come out in the spring. Nice. And he's done a huge amount of research now, and he's found out that this tradition that I'm about to describe of Keptinus, which is really characteristic of Lithuania, is not not exclusive to Lithuania. Oh, okay. But it's bizarre. <laughs> so the way they make this beer is they put it through a regular mash. Uh, uh, it's a single infusion mash, and they let it sit for maybe like an hour, kind of a long mash. Okay. Everything's looking good. And now they do a weird thing. They scoop everything out of the mash tun, yeah. and they put it in these pans, uh, and they put the pans in a baking oven, like a pizza oven, uh-huh. at really high temperatures, like 700 degrees, like, which I think is, uh, I can't remember what that was in C, but I translated it. And in Fahrenheit, it's like 700 degrees. Uh-huh. And leave it there in a cooling oven. They turn the heat off, put it in the oven, turn the heat off so it gently cools. But it's like a kiln, so it doesn't immediately, it's got a lot of ambient heat. Wow. Leave it in there for three hours. Yeah. Pull it out, dump it into a louder tun, 
which in many cases is a barrel with twigs at the bottom. <laughs> uh, and then you pour water over that. Hot water? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, so not the, the notes are not great on this. I'm really hoping right. Lars has better notes than he does yeah. so far because I really would like to make this. And as I was studying all his notes, there are a few major gaps. And one of them is what temperature is the water that goes over and how much? Yeah, so essentially you're taking a, a, you know, like a porridge, I don't, and it depends on what kind of mash they do. I'm guessing if they're scooping it into pans, the porridge is pretty thick. So yeah, I think it's a really thick mash. I think it's basically a porridge and right. not not a lot of liquid. And so you bake it, which is going to influence the grain and also probably dry it out even it, more. Yeah, it dries it out and it creates a big thick caramelized crust on the top. Right. And then you dump a bunch of water on top. So it's probably got, got to be hot water. You'd it's got to be. Yeah, to dissolve to, all to that break stuff down. out. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's what I would think too. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd love to know how that started, but go, go on. And then um, I think I think you could boil it with hops at this point. Right. Should be uh, one way to go. Or there's this other tradition of raw ale. And you can, so the captinus is the baking. Right. That's a technique. Okay. And right. then there's this tradition of raw ale brewing, which is mashing the beer. And instead of boiling it, you create a hop tea out of water. Okay. So you put, you put hops in uh, uh, water, a small amount of water, and boil them for a half an hour. Right. And you pour that water in the sparge water. Okay. Uh, and you don't boil. Whoa. So then you're done. And you pitch your yeast. Okay. And you're out. So you can do that with a captinus uh, also. So you can. Uh, do you, uh, uh, do you so does this water, this this hop tea capture the bittering compounds? Yes, it does. Okay. But as you can see, hops are not a very big yeah. component <laughs> yeah. of this beer. Yeah. So not, it's, they're not looking for a lot of bitterness, but right. they're looking for, I think, the antibacterial stuff. They, want, they okay. don't want to just go totally raw. Wow. They're, they're not looking for a particularly wild beer. These beers... Uh, I've not had any of the, none of the Lithuanian beers I've had are, are wild. They're not, right. they're not lambic like. So you pitch yeast into this raw wort. Yeah. And the brewers, um, probably once kept their own yeast and had, uh, you know, strains they would repitch and repitch and repitch. Uh -huh. but, but, um, over time they lost them and they used bread yeast. And I think this is one reason why the bread yeast thing comes up. Right. Or they'll borrow it from their neighbors or it, yeast is just not a really big, uh, point of focus some of the breweries that Lars has found in the Baltics and in Scandinavia the yeast is an incredibly important part that's another whole cool thing we'll talk to him about but in Lithuania not so much and you can you can tell that except for that the the, the byproducts that that we're tasting mm -hmm. the diacetyl possibly the sweetness possibly the isoamyl acetate uh, were present um, but you can just get that out of normal Saccharomyces those are just characteristics that come from normally ale yeast right <clears throat> Uh, and then there's this final technique that you can use and it's another, again, another mix and match and you could do it with any of these or none of these or however you wanted. Um, it's, it's a stone beer. So typically in stone beer, you're using stones to heat, uh, your wort, right. uh, as a boiling technique here. That's not really the point. The point is to just caramelize the wort a little bit. So you don't put right. very many stones in. Okay. Uh, and I saw somebody doing a homebrew and they had like three potato sized stones in there uh -huh. in a, in something like a 20 liter or five gallon batch. Um, and I had a couple of different versions of this and in one it was incredibly subtle. 
you could barely tell that there was anything going on. It was hard to tell that the that it was that there was a big flavor component. And the other one right. was a little bit more obvious. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So uh the stones are used as a flavor element, not a not a heating element, which is interesting. So you can use any of these techniques as you're going along as a farmhouse brewer and uh you know, mix and match and however you do it. And it and it, it seems to be the case that a brewery, if you're a farmhouse brewer, these are these are really cool places. Uh, Lars has nice photos of them. These are places that are they have little buildings on the farm that are you know 100 150 years old that people have been using there forever. And these old farmers make one kind of beer, and they do the techniques they they use. Uh, so if they make a captinus, they make a captinus in a particular way. Do you think the captinus, the baking, is a way to uh, kill bacteria? Uh, I was, uh, maybe I'm drawing jumping conclusions because I'm thinking about the raw, the raw ale, <laughs> the unboiled wort. No, I think it's entirely about it's just uh, flavor. Flavor, yeah. yeah. It just it get like a lot of these characteristics that we're finding here. This really sweet, rounded thing. Yeah. Uh, focus on malts. Yeah. I think it comes from this tradition. You know, it, they're really uh, caramely and thick right. and full. So uh, with the rocks and with the captinus. And, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. You see how all of these kind of things are. Uh, you know, floating up and uh, creating a, a flavor palette, even in lagers and other beers. So, right. it, yeah, it's just it's very interesting. And and when you're in, if you go uh, to Lithuania, and I I strongly encourage you to, you can go to um, Vilnius and find all of these beers. You can find raw beer. You can find Captinus. I had these. I did have these beers. I had two different versions of Captinus, or three maybe. Uh, a couple of raw beers. Um, there are. Uh, wheat beers. Uh, I had a, one of my very favorite beers was dark lager. Another, a light lager was great. So you, you can find the whole range and and really immerse yourself in all the different expressions. Oh, and there's one other last thing that I should mention too. It's called hira, and it's uh it's like it's like uh, Russian kwas. Uh, it is made from rye bread, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it's it's it rye bread is used in the mash. And it creates a very low, or in many cases, no alcohol beverage uh-huh. uh, that is back sweetened at the end, and it's it's available everywhere. It is the Coca Cola of Lithuania, and the non alcoholic stuff are what kids drink. Uh, everybody probably, drinks it. Probably a lot of nutrients in there. Probably a lot of nutrients in there. So that's actually part of the brewing tradition as well. You'll find almost all breweries will make their own hita as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So there you go. I I think we're probably I've rattled, rattled on for a long time. We're getting close to the end of the Lithuania thing, but. Uh, well, so it's, that's that's the, that's the jam. They, go go go! Yeah, they may be hard to find, but I think they're possible to find. Probably in most medium to big size cities, if you have any kind of Eastern European community. Yeah, that's go, right. Go search them out. Uh, they're definitely worth a try. Yeah, they're definitely something new and different and fun. I'm I'm enjoying trying these. Totally, definitely. Okay, so uh, we should turn now to the mailbag. Indeed, uh, the mailbag is thin. Although I will say that uh, I did get a comment from um, uh, a listener who chastised me for my fading out. I hope I've done better this time. Uh, I like how you leaned into the mic when you said that. Yeah. I'm, I don't mean to fade out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it is It is a problem of mine. I'm sorry. My students also complain in, in class as well. So it's just a, it's genetic. Uh, I'm trying my best. Uh, but um at Stowhurst, I guess, or uh, anyway, thank you very much for the comment. Um, I appreciate it even when they're critical because they help me get better. Yeah, it's always a good reminder. 
and then the other mailbag we have is from Christian uh, Herzig. <laughs> Since it's a pronunciation uh, comment, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his last name right. Herzig. Right. There's no T there, but I think in German you say the Herzig. Uh, from perhaps Berlin? Perhaps Berlin. Not not explicit in this comment, but I think based on what he said, it sounds like he's, he's a Berliner because uh, he's talking about a guy who's in uh, Berlin. He says, you met my teacher, Torsten Schopa. Shop, uh-huh. Ah, here's another one. So we're going to, I don't know if it's Schop or Schopa. Right. It's kind of like, is it Porsche or Porsche? I think it's it's always, if it's got an E, it's always eh. I, well, I, I think so. Maybe and it, it depends and it's on. Not, maybe it's it depends not Schopa because there's no umlaut, right? So it's got to be Schopa. Schopa? Uh, it's got to be. I don't know. Uh, Christian, it's be until Christian, Christian you got you to gotta come back. Uh, anyway, uh, he says, you met my teacher, uh, Torsten Schopa, but I'm but a home brewer. Please note that the TH in th- uh, okay, so let's say it the wrong way. In Thorsten is no English TH. Uh, Thorsten is pronounced just like Thomas with a hard T. So it's not Thorsten, but Thorsten. And I got that wrong in our last uh, two pods ago when we were talking about Berlin, and yeah. I pronounced it Thorsten. But that's okay. If you were a, a, a soccer fan like me, you'd know because Thorsten Frings was a yeah. big German soccer player. And I am not. Yeah. So too bad. Uh, thank you, very, thank you very much, Christian. And we'll, sorry, Torsten. We'll work on our our German pronunciation. Uh, hopefully, Christian Herzig. I've got your last name right, and hope we have Schopa's last name correct as well. Okay, a few words going out. Once again, we want to extend a hearty thank you to Freem Family Brewers for sponsoring this episode of the Beer Vana Podcast. You can find them in Hood River, Oregon. Beautiful Hood River, Oregon. Yeah, it's uh, actually really beautiful right now. I bet. Yeah. It's going to be gorgeous right now. And at freembeer.com, P-F-R-I-E-M-B-E-E-R.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. (laughs) That helps other listeners find the show. We'd love to hear from you as well. So please send your questions or comments to jeff at beervonablog.com or on Twitter uh, to our uh, uh, Twitter feed at beervonapod. Jeff blogs at Beervana blog and tweets it at Beervana. Patrick tweets at Beernomics. All right. And we now have two, count them, two Lithuanian beers to go out with. Uh, and now you're on the spot. How do you cheers in Lithuanian? No clue at all. Actually, I asked uh, Martinez and he told me and I don't have that information. <laughs> <laughs> your your mind it, didn't retain that bit. It's the, it's the uh, Lithuanian to... It's very. It's one of those common to your health kind of things. And right. I've forgotten what. Well, it is, we'll just say cheers then. Yeah. Cheers, Jeff. To, to your health. Pretend that's Lithuanian. Yeah.